I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hey there, Shelly. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. (laughs) Full disclosure, I apologize in advance because I've had way too much coffee this morning. (laughs) I've had three cups. In the last hour and a half. How many? Three. Oh my gosh. I haven't even finished my first cup. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the okay. problem. Like when I'm home in the mornings, when I don't have to like leave for home visits right away, I tend to go crazy on the coffee and then I get all jittery and it makes my anxiety worse. It's one of those situations where you're like, why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> right. Delicious. That's why. Caffeine can give you anxiety. I don't know. I don't think I drink enough of it to know, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. So I have my cups. Sometimes I have two, but usually I only have one. And it takes me generally a couple hours to even drink it. I'm not a fast coffee drinker. Oh. So I don't think it's, I don't even think it does anything for me because I don't drink it fast enough or enough volume. Yeah. And well, I'm married to a Colombian. So there is a pot <laughs> always made. <laughs> You're never out of warm coffee. It's just sitting there. And that's part of the problem too. Yes. It's so easy for me to just pour it. And John's really nice where like, he'll get up earlier than me so he can make the pot of coffee and he'll bring it up to me when I'm getting oh. ready. And so I- it's like, and then he'll be like, you want more coffee? You want more coffee? Sure. And then I'm like, why am I feeling so anxious? Oh yeah, that's right. What are the jitters? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Do you want to jump into our favorite of the week? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. What you got? So I thought I would just talk about I used to be addicted to like subscription boxes. Yeah. I think at one point I had like five. It was really sad. <laughs> and yeah. then and then it was like, this is a crazy amount of money and I don't need this stuff. So I canceled all of them except for two. There's two that I can't really let go of. <laughs> <laughs> Try. <laughs> and one's called Barbella Box. Have you ever heard of it? I have not heard of that. So it's a fitness one. Oh. For women. And it comes with such good, it's it's probably the priciest box that I have ever had. It's about $50 a month if you're just doing the monthly plan. But the products that you get are so great. And if you are into fitness and working out, like it, they're high quality stuff, the stuff that I use every day. So like they'll send you sports bras, workout shorts, and favorite water bottles I've gotten from there. My favorite coffee tumbler I got from there. Wow. Journal. So I know for one of my favorites of the week, I did the sidekick journal and that's, I had gotten that out of the box. I didn't order Mm -hmm. it. And I just really like it. And I think, you know, sometimes if you're looking to treat yourself, a subscription box is nice and fun because you don't really know what you're going to get unless you're the kind of person that goes onto the website and looks at it before it arrives. But I just like knowing, you know, I get the email notification, your Barbara box is on the way when I get really excited and I like opening it up and kind of seeing what I get and some of the stuff I don't use and I just give it away. But it's a lot of fun. Nice. Good for you. Yeah, I've never tried. Sometimes I'm tempted to like look into those things, but 
I feel like I need, I'm only living in my house until next August and I need to just start getting rid of things. And I've been getting things. So when I think of things like that, I'm like, I don't need anything more. I have to throw away three quarters of what I own and with. So yes. and you I have, have to like, do the, like the mon- what's her name? The, what if, was you that? if you don't, if it didn't, doesn't give you joy, let it go. <laughs> What's yeah. your name? I can't remember it. Um, but you know I mean, who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I do. Like, you have to like hold everything up and be like, does it bring me joy? And if not, you get rid of that. And it's all about, I forget her name. It's with an um, M. Yeah, it does. That's what yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't. And I feel like I need to do that though. Like I have, I'm at the point where I feel like I need to spend money hiring someone to help me. Like I've got, I'm looking around, okay, get that room to, uh, to clean out and that closet to clean out that closet to clean out that hutch to clean out. And I feel like if I had someone to help me because I get stuck, you know, when I'm, I, I need to get rid of. So I haven't done a subscription. <laughs> yeah. because of that. That's like the last thing that you need right now. Right. More yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. You should look in. I know it's hard with COVID, but you should look in to see if there's like a teenager that, yes. that just wants a little extra spending cash that will come over and help you throw shit oh, crap away. Are we <laughs> swearing? I can't decide if we're allowing swearing on this podcast. I mean, I swear quite a bit and I'm sure I've sworn it beef on this before. So I know if it's allowed, you're yeah. Let's, let's just say we're allowed to. <laughs> okay, good. Better. Um, so. If there are parents out there that don't swear like ever, how do you do that? That's right. <laughs> Let <laughs> us know. Right. Exactly. Please send us all your tips because really the F word's like my favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your favorite of the week? Well, I was like, I was saying to you before we've talked about like financial planning and I being a single mom, I have to be really careful with my income. And one of my ways of income is I'm a real estate agent. So money is not steady. Money is not weekly. Money is sometimes, and sometimes it's really fruitful and sometimes it's not. And I've had a a good fall. So I've had a few closings this month and I have a couple more um, to go even before the year closes. But I need to be prudent with my money. And one of the financial advisors or gurus that I follow is Dave Ramsey. And I follow him on social media. I listen to his podcast. He wrote The Total Money Makeover. You actually introduced me to him years ago, Shelly. And it really, his plan makes sense. And I don't know anyone at all done his plan that it has not beautifully worked for. So mm-hmm. people are out of debt. They have a savings account. They're paying cars off in cash, for example. So I've been, I was listening the other day to a podcast and I had my, one of my books out and I had my notebook out, like my financial notebook where I do all my stuff. And yes, I still am old fashioned, have a notebook. It just works for me. I'm, I just, it does. And I was thinking, oh, this is definitely, such a good plan. And this is the plan for financial freedom. And that's the most important thing for me because having your money well done is freedom and choices for you. And having it mm-hmm. not well done is jail. It's mm-hmm. like a prison and financial prison. And I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my favorite of the week is the Dave Ramsey complete money makeover, all of his stuff. Yeah. And I love Dave Ramsey. And I knew that he would be perfect for you too. And 
you know, his, his advice is sound and it, it does take willpower to, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm completely committed to everything that he says in terms of like, I'm not as strict with his plan. Like we go out to eat, we go on vacations. We still, we've paid off a ton of debt, but we're like in his program, he's like, don't go on vacation or anything until you pay off all your debt. Well, we're going on vacation. <laughs> right. Right. And, but it's so good. What does he say? What's that? The borrower slave to the lender. Right. And it's, says, yeah. it's the truth. So, you know, that's just been huge for me having survived the last couple of years being a single mom is by being very prudent and taking a lot of his principles into action for my mm-hmm. life. Having a, an emergency fund is like one of the mm-hmm. first things is the first thing he tells you to do. And I never had that. And now right. I do. And very helpful. It's life changing. And it's nice if you have, like, if your car breaks down, you just have a car emergency. You don't have a car and a financial emergency because you have that emergency fund where it's like your car breaks down, you just fix your car. Right. You don't have to be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay for this? Right. And I do have to wait for my next paycheck or whatnot. So yeah, I do like, and he is very religious. So there's a lot of religion and Bible quotes Mm -hmm. in his teachings. And as you know, I'm not religious. So mm-hmm. I just kind of like skim over that stuff, but the rest of it is like really good. Yep. Yep. Agreed. All right. Let's move on to our question of the week. Great. So this week, our question is from a parent who is expecting twins and she wants to know if we have any tips or advice for breastfeeding twins. Mm, you do a lot of that. Talk to me. <laughs> So, yes, so twins can be tricky sometimes if they are in the NICU because um, it's not uncommon for twins to come a little early and be a little premature and then they're in the NICU to grow. And that can be difficult because depending on how, what their gestational age is and what their condition is, you may or may not be able to put them to the breast in the NICU. So in that case, or even if you are able to put them to the breast, if they're born premature, then then you should be pumping anyway after feedings. Or if they're not able to go to the breast, then pump every two to three hours until they are to protect and maintain your milk supply. Be a little creative once, you know, if your baby's born full term or once they're ready to go to the breast, positioning can be a little creative, but that's why you have two breasts, right? So you put one on each side. <laughs> Most parents of twins that I work with start off The first few days to a week, breastfeeding one baby at a time. And then once they get more comfortable with latching, they move on to breastfeeding both babies at the same time, which is way easier to get the babies Mm -hmm. on the schedule and to shorten them the amount of time that you're spending feeding. Right. And a lot of parents of multiples worry that they won't make enough milk. And you definitely have the ability to make enough milk, you know, most parents do if you establish that milk supply strongly in the beginning, especially the first few days with pumping and expressing skin to skin, whatever you can do that's possible. Mm-hmm. And then have your support system set up. You're going to need support if you're raising multiple for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. It's a, it's a different situation. It just requires more strategy. Mm-hmm. And more support. Yep. Well, this week's guest is Michelle Clark, and she's going to talk to us about exclusive pumping. And we'll be right back with that. Very good. 
everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting in new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health. I am so happy to introduce Michelle Clark, IBCLC and owner of Sunshine and Rainbows Lactation. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here to talk about exclusive pumping. Thank you so much. It's like such my passion. I, you know, I've shared with you, of course, and you know, my personal story where I was an exclusive pumper. So it's just something that's so like near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you actually define exclusive pumping for us? Yeah, absolutely. So exclusive pumping is when a parent is pumping for all of their feedings for their baby, you know, so whether they're feeding four times a day or they're feeding 12 times a day, they're using a breast pump um, to get that milk out and to feed their baby. Okay. Why would moms choose that versus putting baby to breast? Give us some There's like a lot of different reasons. Yeah. One of the most common ones is because maybe they had a baby in the NICU or their baby um, had an issue where they couldn't necessarily go to the breast and they, you know, of course, wanted to stimulate their breast, get that milk out. Some parents just choose it like me. I just chose it. It was really what I wanted to do. And another thing that's kind of, you know, emerging and parents are being so brave and sharing about is that, you know, they have anxiety or depression. A lot of parents just want to provide that milk for their baby, but they just, you know, they have some things that they have to work through. And so it's so brave of them. You know, they'll do what they need to do. They'll pump and still have that bond with their baby. So that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I've had um, some clients too, who choose to exclusively pump because of anxiety, but it makes them feel way less anxious to actually see how much the baby's sure. getting each yep. feeding. Like I've had a couple of families I worked with with previous experience of extreme weight loss and hospitalization of the baby due to extreme weight loss. And then when they had their second, they're like, I'm just going to exclusively pump. I need to know how much the baby's getting. I need to know that the baby is yep. getting enough. And that's what worked for them. And that's what made them feel better. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And the parents have to be able to be present, right? So if that is what it's going to take for that parent to feel like, you know, this is working for them and that parenthood is going well for them, then absolutely they should do that. And, you know, some people are like, oh, well, why do you need to know how much the baby's getting? That's not really our business. Mm-hmm. But again, if it helps those parents to feel empowered, then do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best being looks like however you want it to look like. That's exactly absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of being an IBCLC or a lactation support person who has a lot of grace and understanding for the differences and what feeding your baby can look like. I remember years ago teaching a class and there was a mom who was showing a lot of 
signs of somebody who had a difficult history. And it turned out that she had quite a bit of abuse in her background. And so even the thought of giving birth was concerning for her. Putting the baby to breast, she knew she couldn't do, but she wanted to provide breast milk. She did exclusively pump short term. That ended up being a little much for her. And then got donor milk fed for her baby and felt more comfortable with that. It was, she just had stuff she needed to be able to work through. And, you know, being a, a breastfeeding support person or an IBCLC, you know, whatever, being able to recognize bottom line, it needs to work for the family. For the yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what a lot of, you know, parents or even people professionals don't really understand. There's always this age old question, who is the client, the baby or the parent? And I always tell my parents, you are my client. I am here to make sure that you are okay, no matter what breastfeeding looks like for you and your family. So if you tell me this is all that you can do, you know, within this, this scope, or this is how much you want to do, you know, it's my job to help you get wherever it is that you would like to be. And that doesn't have to look like, you know, I exclusively pumped. I did all my, you know, feedings that way. If you want to pump and, and and take baby to breast, if you want to, you know, pump or breastfeed or nurse and, you know, give formula, that's absolutely okay. And again, I'm here to use all the tools in my toolbox to help you get to wherever it is you need want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I usually start every visit by saying, you know, what are your goals? And then I kind of um, reinforce to my families that, you know, as long as the baby's growing and you're happy feeding your baby, I don't care what it looks like. As long as the baby's growing and you're happy feeding the baby. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's no. what a lot of people don't, oh, I'm sorry, they no, don't okay. understand is that, you know, the parents, well, the way the parent feels about the breastfeeding journey, it has to be mutually enjoyable. And the moment that the parent stops enjoying it, no matter what it looks like, then that's a problem. You know, we have to address that. So I always reinforce to my parents, like how you feel about this absolutely matters. It's not, oh, the baby's here now and that's all we care about. How you feel about it absolutely is is paramount. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same as giving birth. Like, and I know, I'm sure, Nicole, you remember from when you were a doula too, like you probably attended some births just like I did, where you thought like this was not a quote unquote good birth, but the parents were thrilled with how it went. And that is all that matters. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's this idea in lactation land that (laughs) exclusive pumping is not ideal or what people quote unquote should choose. Do you have, I know you have thoughts on that, but would you like to share? You know I have all the thoughts. It is, it's so discouraging when, when I hear this. And so I'll use this kind of moment to tell a little bit of my story. I was someone who decided at four months pregnant that I wanted to pump. The thought of putting baby to breast for me just was not something at the time I, you know, was able to digest. And I did have an issue with losses before. So again, there was just that anxiety around birth and breastfeeding. Oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, what I'm doing. So I decided I was going to exclusively pump and there was absolutely no information. My son was born in 2017. So this isn't that long ago. This is, you know, just three years ago. There wasn't any support. I met with five different lactation consultants, a few prenatally, one postpartum, and just one out of the five was like, okay, I mean, this is something sustainable you can do if you want to. And I always love a good challenge. And so, you know, people would tell me it's not sustainable. Um, Even his pediatrician's office, they were like, well, you're going to have to latch him at some point. If you want to keep your milk supply up, you're going to have to. And I was just like, 
you can't tell me what to do. Because again, I love a good challenge. Mm-hmm. And I went on to exclusively pump for two years. I actually uh, took a break for 13 months and relactated this year uh, during COVID um, because I'm one of those crunchy people who believes you can put breast milk on anything and cure it. So I was like, oh, we'll just throw a little breast milk on COVID. It'll be okay. <laughs> um, but I say all that to say you, the definition of breastfeeding is providing baby with milk from the breast right? Feeding the baby from the breast, not at the breast. At the breast is nursing. And so a lot of people get those definitions, you know, confused and think that they can be used interchangeably, but really they're two completely different things. And so nursing is a type of breastfeeding. Pumping, exclusively pumping is a type of breastfeeding. And so I always, that's like my little hashtag, pumping is breastfeeding. I will argue all day with anyone who believes it isn't. But yeah, again, you know, we have this textbook definition of what we think breastfeeding looks like and is. And, you know, it's 2020. Parents are put in so many different situations. You have, you know, 71% of the women in the workforce identify as mothers. So we're doing them a disservice when we start picking and choosing. You know, when we say, oh, well, you're only nursing for this many sessions a day. And then you're not breastfeeding for this many sessions a day. It's just that division just doesn't need to exist. So I am all for pumping is breastfeeding. And again, I will argue you up and down all over the internet, all over the media. Absolutely. And I know that, so this idea that exclusive pumping is not sustainable, where do you Mm -hmm. think that idea comes from? I think it comes from a little bit of fear on the professional side. And I'm not just talking lactation professionals. I'm talking everyone from the dentist to the pediatricians, to the midwives, anyone who is engaging with this birthing parent and this family is there wasn't, and there still isn't a lot of information about pumping, how to operate the pump. There's this machine that you just, you know, sizing phalanges. There's so much that comes with it. And I think that, you know, with that ignorance and not knowing about it, people are just like, oh, it's just not sustainable, you know, or they only see one faction of it. They only see the parent, you know, in the NICU for a few days who just can't, seem to maintain and they're like, oh, they're never going to keep this up when they get home, when they think about the demands of it. But I think they really underestimate a parent's love. I've Mm -hmm. seen parents do things that even me, who I'm committed to pumping, I think are absolutely like, I could never. I have a mom um, I work with who she has triplets and she was having a rough go of it. And so she decided to switch to exclusively pumping. And I thought in my mind, there is no way that I could breastfeed triplets, nurse them, pump for them. I mean, and she did it. She got up every session and she pumped for those babies and she did what she wanted to do for her family. So I think it comes from that just not knowing. And we just kind of say, oh, well, it's just not sustainable. Or we're looking at a really small faction of of the big picture for these parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happens a lot, especially in the maternity system in the U.S., where I, I see it all the time where providers are making decisions on what they believe the parents will or will not want to do or be able to do like like in the hospital all the time I hear you know parents who are supplementing at the breast and they always say to me well you need to go and show her how to give a bottle because they're not going to do that at home they're not going to last doing that at home and it's like well maybe not but who are you to make that decision for them exactly or you know just kind of shift it like if we know that it's going to be hard for them then we need to be learning more so that we can provide the best support for them you know, as a as an IBCLC, as a lactation consultant, and someone who just, I do a lot of peer support as well, I have to, you know, kind of be able to look at, if this person is having a rough time sustaining this, what can I do? What do I know? What tips and tricks can I give them 
to help them get to where they need to be instead of just dismissing them. Because again, like you said, in the U.S., parents and mothers feel this way all the time. All the time you'll hear them talk about their birth stories, how they felt, you know, the person didn't listen to them and they had this experience where they weren't, you know, felt like they were treated with respect. And it's kind of like, we can't continue this vicious cycle. You know, we have to say, what can I do to help them get to where they want to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the great part too of providing in-home support is that you yeah. can kind of look around their house and say, okay, how can we set this up in your environment and see things that you can try or use that they may not have thought of as well? Yeah, absolutely. So what does exclusive pumping look like? Like what does the day of exclusive pumping look like for you? Yeah, for most parents, it's very similar to nursing, eight to 12 times a day depending on how, you know, maybe the baby's age or how frequently they're eating. For most parents, it looks about about eight to 10 times a day. So every, you know, three-ish hours, they're going to set up their pump, whether it is a hospital grade, you know, rental that they have or one that they've gotten through their insurance, hopefully through the Affordable Care Act. And they're simply going to be going, you know, whether it's around the house or at work, making sure every three hours if they're pumping for at least 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and then, of course, like storing that milk and, and, you know, making sure the babies have the appropriate bottle size when they're feeding or cup size if they're using a cup. And what does it if you if you have a parent that's pregnant and decided during pregnancy to exclusively pump? How do you prepare for pumping in the hospital? One of the things that I really tell them is that just like you said, a lot of people do not think it's sustainable. So I tell them to be very and feel empowered in their decision. Let their care team know, here, I am in Virginia, we're in Southern Virginia, and all of our hospitals have pumps right in the room. They don't have the kits, but they actually have the pumps in the room. And so for, you know, those local parents, I'll tell them, okay, ask them for a pump kit, have them bring it to you, and, you know, you can get started as soon as you're feeling, you know, able to, of course, to move your faculties. But I tell them to, you know, be very firm, let their care team know. I also tell them to do a little bit of research know if that hospital has an IBCLC or a lactation support person, maybe get their name. So it's, it's very different saying, Hey, can I see that, you know, the IBCLC where, where they go in and say, Hey, can I talk to Shelly Taft? You know, is Shelly on, on, on schedule today? Or, you know, is Nicole on schedule today? So that's very different. And that kind of gives a different feel to the team. Like, okay, well, they know who they're asking for, um, but to also just be encouraged and also to keep some resources um, maybe on their phones or, you know, have their partner, also advocate for them if they have whoever's going to be there with them. Let them know, hey, you know, she's going to pump. This baby is breastfed. That's another thing. Um, they'll ask, you know, are your ba- is your baby going to be breastfed or formula fed? So let them know your baby's going to be breastfed. And then ask them for a pump and you go ahead and maybe try some hand expression. I also teach that for my prenatal parents because, of course, as we know, colostrum is very thick and hard to get out with the pump. But they can also hand express into a spoon and feed baby that way. And they don't ever have to get formula. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I know in my area, the hospitals are, we have pumps, but we're not great at putting them in the rooms for patients. And sometimes it can quite a bit of time can pass before someone can get a room in there, uh, a pump in there. What about, is there like a specific pump that you recommend when you're doing heavy duty pumping like that? Or is it just whatever works? Well, I always recommend, I call it a workhorse. And maybe I have to find a better term for this, but I also always tell my exclusively pumping parents, Get you a workhorse, get you something that's going to work for you, especially with insurance offering it beforehand. You know, they give you so many options. You don't know what to choose. Dela pumps are really good. Uh, They have the Symphony, which is a rental, which is a great pump for an exclusively pumping parent. Also the Spectra, the S1, the S2. In some places they have the S3. That's hospital grade. 
that they can get as a rental are really great pumps if you're going to be doing some heavy duty long term. And a lot of people think that it's like, oh, do you have these preferences because, you know, certain brands like Motif Luna has one as well. I also look at warranties. So that's one of the things when I, you know, talking to my exclusively by my parents is get you a pump that if something goes wrong, it's covered under the warranty. That's one less thing for you to worry about. If you, you know, you're going to be exclusively pumping, you're going to be using this for a while, get you a pump that has a, you know, a two-year warranty, a three-year warranty, whereas you don't have something that, you know, six months to a year and it's conking out and now you're forced to come out of pocket and buy another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Yep. I would agree on that. I know there's a lot of new pumps that have come out on the market lately. And it's so hard to say, cause I get those questions all the time. Like, what do you think of this pump? And what do you think of this pump? Well, we don't really know yet. Yeah. It just came out on the market. We don't have any research on it. Um, we only have like, you know, the reviews on Amazon to go by, which is, you know, are not always accurate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people also don't look at the parts either. That's one thing I talk about with my parents. It depends on what type of parent you are. I am a Target Walmart parent. You know, I if I can't get it on Target.com or I can't get it at Walmart or Amazon, I'm just not going to buy it. So, you know, where can you get your replacement parts? Do you need a, a different size flange? Does your pump, you know, operate with these certain flanges? Okay, maybe you have a Spectra or you have a Medela at work. Like for my nurse parents, they'll have, you know, pumps at work that they can use and they don't have to transport one. Okay, well, do your parts work with that pump? Will you have to buy an extra set? So things like that, I always tell the clients to look at because, you know, some of these newer pumps, like you said, they just come with flanges that are in two sizes and that's it. And now, you know, you're struggling to kind of figure out what you can make work and what hacks work. So that's also something, you know, I tell my parents to look at. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of flanges, <laughs> what, <laughs> what can you tell us about flange fitting? Goodness. I was just talking about this with a friend last night who is an exclusively pumping RBCLC, Sarah Lester. It's not a magic potion and pill, and I really wish it could. People ask me this all the time about, what do you think about phalange fitting? It really, every breast is different. And I don't mean every set of breasts. I mean, every single breast is different. Parents experience things like elastic tissue. Maybe their nipple tissue is being pulled down at the bottom of the funnel, but the actual cone portion of it, you know, is too big. So now we're looking for, okay, can you put a cushion in this? Can you get another, you know, it's not just simple. It's like, oh, my flange size is 24 millimeters, but the tunnel is is too short. So we look at things like that. So I always tell other professionals, you know, make sure you're measuring, but make sure you're also looking at the fit, like how it looks, but how it feels to the parent and how functional it is. So I do the three Fs, fit, function, and feeling. Because again, you can measure a nipple and it could be 24 millimeters and that's great. But if it doesn't feel good to parent, they're not going to continue it. That's that whole it's unsustainable thing. So really, you know, how are they feeling? Okay. You know, is it working? Is it even getting the milk out? So those are the, some of the things that I always tell people to look at with when they're doing phalange fitting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know that not all lactation professionals are skilled. Right. Flange fitting as we know. <laughs> yep. So you should try, you know, ask around, see who has a reputation in your area for actually being skilled at flange fitting and can do it properly for you. And if someone is just holding the flange up to your nipple and saying, oh, it looks like it fits, they don't know what they're talking about and go yeah. see someone else. Well, it's so hard. They're just like, you know, even when my clients, I, you know, they're like, oh, they'll just put it on. And I'm like, okay, can you hook this up and 
let's let's get this going. Let's you know, let's see. And then they're like, oh, this is pinchy. You know, they'll be like, oh, it's perfect. It fits. And then like, oh, this pinch is here. Oh, this hurts here. Okay, well, that's probably not the best size. Mm-hmm. And in my console bag, I do carry some of the cushions and some different sizes for them to try on, so they can kind of you know see what feels best for them. But yeah, it's just ask for help if you're a professional who who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. We, and we do, you see this all the time, like when we're in the same like Facebook groups, someone will say, hey, you know, a client told me I could post this. What do you guys think about this fit? And you always get people who will be like, that's perfect. That's too big. That's too little. And it's just like oh, all over the, the map. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. The poster's like, that was super helpful. Glad I posted it. <laughs> <laughs> I think just, I think that everybody breastfeeding should, if they can get it um you know, a private consult at home after they leave the hospital for all these things that come up that people might not ask when they're in the hospital and exhausted, you know, just listening to this is like, this is all the more reason that everybody should have a home visit, you know, or three or four, because you don't know what you're, you're too tired in the hospital, you know, you don't know. Exactly. Yeah, you've had fluids and now you've got engorgement. And I have a lot of people who come and say, oh, well, these are the phalanges that they gave me in the hospital. They fit perfectly. Okay, well, you also had four bags of IV fluids doing birth and right. you had engorgement and now right. they don't fit anymore. And that's okay. Or people will say, well, one breast is this size, but the other breast is this. Completely normal. I have a lot of clients who have to use possibly different sizes for each breast simply right. just because of anatomy. Right. And they're right. always shocked. They're like, Really? Yeah. And sometimes after you've been pumping for a while, it does change your anatomy and you need to be right. Right. Yes, absolutely. Even, you know, personally myself, when I initially breastfed, I was using a 28. Now I'm not, I'm sorry. I was a young in my lactation professional journey then. So I didn't know any better. And so I look back now when I went to relactate and I pulled those bad boys out and they did not work. I had to go down to a 24. But I mean, these are, you know, these are the same breasts I was born with. But again, like you said, I've, you know, I've been pumping for a year and a half, took a little bit of a break and now my breasts are completely different size. Yeah. Yep. They just changed. Yeah, totally. I have to go in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to ask really quick, if you could give some tips for exclusive pumpers. I know that it requires more strategy and, you know, planning. What could you give a couple pieces of advice to make it more streamlined, to make it simpler for parents? What are the top things that make it easier to be an exclusive pumper? Sure. I would say the top few things, the first thing is making sure one, that you get you a pump that is going to do the work. It's going to pull the long haul. And sometimes cheaper is not necessarily better. Sometimes more expensive is not better. You know, maybe running a a Medela may sound like a good idea, but it's, you know, not cost effective. And maybe you just don't like the pump. But of course, getting the $45 one off Amazon, if you're going to exclusively pump, is probably not ideal. So definitely get you a good pump, one that has a very, you know, good motor. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the highest suction when I say good motor. Also, I would say invest in multiple sets of phalanges and collection bottles. It's going to make things a lot easier if you're, you know, exclusively pumping and you're trying to pump, then you've got to pump, feed baby, get baby settled, wash the phalanges in the bottles and do that eight to 10 times a day. It's really going to drive you crazy. So I always tell parents, try to invest in maybe um, two or three more so that you always have a clean set on hand. Yeah. And then I think the last thing would be, and a lot of people don't talk about this. It, it drives me nuts. You have to chain the valve and the membranes on the pumps. It depends on what pump you have, what they call them. Medela calls them membranes. Spectra and Motif call them valve or meta. So the little white piece that goes inside 
the uh, phalanges. It's a little circular piece. They're duckbill valves for some pumps. They're little circle membranes for others. Make sure you're changing those consistently. Exclusive pumpers, when they write these pump manuals, they don't account for us. So if it says, oh, you can change your valves, you know, every month, this they're the company is thinking that this is for someone who's casually pumping, maybe at work or school. So when you start, I always tell my parents, maybe every two weeks, try to change out those valves to keep that suction strong because that's what creates the suction and gets that milk out. So definitely look into stuff like that. And it's very cost effective. You can get a passive valve from Amazon for like 10 bucks for eight. So definitely change those those valves out, get you a great pump and then invest in uh, extra pieces and parts. Yeah. I think that's really good advice because a lot of what people talk about is just the whole setup and the whole cleaning everything. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, you know, having enough socks and underwear so you're not having to do your laundry every day, right? Just <laughs> exactly. make it easier. You can, you can put your parts in the dishwasher. You know, you can just make sure that you have one of those little, um, they sell them at like Walmart. They have little baskets where you can put in bottle parts. Get you one of those, put your parts in there and toss those bad boys in the dishwasher. I mean, maybe you can do a pre-soak <laughs> if you have really fatty milk, but people are like, how are you washing your pump parts? And I'm like, I put them in the dishwasher every single night. They're like, really? Absolutely. So yeah, yes, definitely yes. utilize the dishwasher if you have it. Right. Because you just, I mean, having a newborn is so much work. Recovering from giving birth is so much work. Feeding your baby is, there is work to it, changing their diaper. You want to make anything and everything as easy as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I used to call myself like a lazy parent, but now I realize that I was just <laughs> good at streamlining things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. But I mean, why not? Let's make mm -hmm. it easier on ourselves. And right. I, I think, yeah, having enough products to make it easier is so that you're not always having to wash. The baby's crying. You haven't had a chance to pump because you get stuck doing something. Right. Now you've got to wash things. Just, yeah, make it easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wish I had known about those basket things. Because when I had my first, I was really young and I had this even flow pump, which they don't even make anymore. It was like $30 <laughs> at Walmart. And it was yeah. like this horrible, terrible thing that just went. Yes. <laughs> and yep. I had an abundant milk supply and an oversupply. So I still was able to pump fine with it. But looking back now, I was like, wow, what a crappy pump I had. <laughs> and I would throw all the pieces in the top rack of the dishwasher. But sometimes the flange would fall down to the bottom and get melted. <laughs> oh my God. Right. <laughs> Yeah, this one would be like, why don't you start? Why don't you hand wash them? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And I just go <laughs> out and buy another set until it would get melted again. Right. right. Clearly, I was missing the whole basket piece. <laughs> yeah, well, that was years ago. Things have gotten better. <laughs> totally. Right. Yeah, the advice is better too. All right, I have to hit okay. the road. Bye. Bye. Nice to meet you, Michelle. Congratulations. You as well. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. What do you recommend for like hands-free pumping? I recommend a hands-free bra for every single parent. I don't care if you're going to exclusively pump or you're only going to pump at work. I recommend getting a hands-free bra. That's something that's cost prohibitive for you. I recommend it get an old sports bra, maybe one from like Target or Walmart. They have them really cheap. I, I had some that were like, to, you know, for 10 bucks and just cut a small hole in there. And then you'll maybe have to cut it a little bit bigger, but you don't want to go too big and get you a, a hand, make you a hands-free bra 
There's hats on Pinterest where you can use your nursing bra to hold the flanges in place just so that you can have more time to spend with baby because that's a lot of one of the things that professionals always say, well, you know, you got to exclusively pump and they're not bonding with baby. If you have a hands-free pump, both of your hands are free to hold your baby, play with them. You know, if you're at work and your baby's not with you, you can scroll your phone, watch Netflix while you're pumping. And it just makes things a lot easier for the parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. Again, something that I did not think of when I was young and have it. And I would hold like with one arm, I'd put it across my chest to hold it in place and type with one hand. I know. I forgot to take mine to the hospital and I knew I was going to exclusively pump, but completely forgot my hands-free bra at the hospital. And I remember I was in the hospital for two days, but that 20 feedings, that's 20 pump sessions. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, just holding me <laughs> to my chest. And you know, my husband would hold the baby, but it's just kind of like, okay, I'm kind of just tired of holding these here, but definitely, definitely get a hands-free bra. Yeah. And I work with some families where the, the breastfeeding parent has carpal tunnel. And so yeah. that helps too, not having to sit there for like 15, 20 minutes hold. and hold things to your breast. Yeah. Yeah. And there's videos on YouTube that show you too how to make your own. I tell families like you don't have to drop $60 on a pumping bra. Just make your right, own. Right. Yeah. Get cut a little few holes in it. It'll be great. You know, if you put it in the washing machine, just wash it on hot. And then, you know, the elastic kind of comes back. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, have you heard of the oxytocin trick by eating chocolate before pumping? Is that something that you <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like chocolate? But <laughs> Who doesn't like chocolate? I have not researched the science behind it, but I've heard it. But I mean, it's like, who doesn't like chocolate? So, I'm, right. you know, I'm always willing to tell my parents, listen, we'll try it. Sure, why not? Like, it's for mm-hmm. science. You know, you tell your spouse, hey, I need some chocolate for science. It's for my milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have heard of parents doing that. I don't know if it's a placebo effect or something, but they do. Maybe they'll notice like a little bit of an increase, half an ounce, you know, a quarter of an ounce here, but whatever works. Mm-hmm. I just kind of liked the idea of like having those little pieces of chocolate lined up. And then mm-hmm. every time I went to go pumping, able like, I get to have some chocolate. Little, little treat. Exactly. You have to treat yourself because pumping is hard work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing that really burns my biscuits when providers are very dismissive of it. These parents are doing hard work. They are just, it's not a walk in the park. You know, exclusively pumping is not just like, oh, it's just easier or, you know, some sort of lackadaisical parent type of thing. It is hard work. And Anything the parents can do to kind of, you know, reward themselves or make it easier on themselves. I'm, you know, such a a cheerleader for. Mm -hmm. Yep. What about like, usually I recommend that there's like a hand pump stashed in the car in case they get like stuck in a traffic jam or something and they can't get home to pump in time. Is that something you usually recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend that my parents get one. I'll tell them maybe keep it in their trunk. You know, they don't have to use it. A hands, not a hands, but sorry, it's a manual pump. And they're really inexpensive. They're about $20, $25, you know, and all the major retailers. But also, they're really good for, you know, it's on the go. Like you're walking around the house and maybe, you know, you need to get your extra little pump in. I find that a lot of parents can get a lot more out quicker mm-hmm. with the manual once they figure out how to use it. It is a learning curve. For me, I was using my wrong for six months before I realized like, okay, I'm not doing this right. So like you said, YouTube videos, go to the manufacturer, maybe they'll have something on there, you know, kind of show you how to use it, how to get the most out of it. But even with um like natural disasters, you know, here in Virginia, within the last two years, we've had a few hurricanes, we're coastal, so the power goes out, you know, my Spectra S1 is not charged up, and I've got to make my pump break, like, what am I supposed to do? So having that manual just on hand, we're saying, okay, you know, maybe we don't have power, maybe something has happened, maybe we're traveling, 
Or, you know, like you said, maybe I'm stuck in traffic. Maybe I'm at work a little bit longer than I thought I would be. Or maybe, you know, my trip took a little bit longer. You know, let's say you run out like with the holidays, you know, hey, I'm just going to go grab something, you know, from the store really quick. It turned into a four hour ordeal and you didn't bring your pump with you or you don't have your baby. Just grab that manual, you know, and get that milk out. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I remember with my third, I had awful even flow pump with my oldest. And then I had them a deal with my second because I learned more. (laughs) But then by the time I had my third and I was a stay at home parent and I was breastfeeding or nursing. So I just got them a deal. I think it's the Harmony. Is the medulla mm-hmm. pump, yeah, and I was really surprised that I got the same amount, if not more, in the same amount yeah. of time with the hand pump versus the double electric. And it was so much easier for me to just kind of like sit there and not have to lug out the electric pump and plug it up and just kind of like do a quick pump going back and forth or have it in the car. So, yeah, I mean, even if you really travel well. too, mm-hmm. I you know, for my before I went into lactation, I also have a day job. I work as a defense contractor and I used to have to travel once a month to ba- to Boston, where you are, to Massachusetts, where you are, um, to, you know, for work and going through TSA with, you know, in a double electric pump and they want to take it out and they want to, I remember one time I got held up for 45 minutes because I had traced, you know, substance on my pump, even though I wiped oh, no. it down really well. I had, to, they're wanting it. And I'm like, dude, it's just breast milk. <laughs> and so I kind of got to a point where I said, I'm not going to bring my double electric. I'm just going to bring my manual and we will make it work. And it was absolutely amazing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was quick. It was, I didn't have to take an extra bag. But also when I was at work, you know, I could just, you know, step away, grab my little nursing cover, get my milk out and then keep going. So mm-hmm. yeah. definitely for parents who travel a lot too, that's a great option. Yeah. And after Hunter, my youngest was born, I went back. I started, I was a doula at the time. I started doing births when he was like six weeks old and I did not want to lug my double electric pump. Because I had to bring it something because who knows how long I was going to be there. Right. So I would just bring, you know, the, the hand pump and I would just pop into the bathroom and, you know, squeeze out some milk, pump out some milk if I was feeling really full and then get back to the bedside to be with the parent, with my client before she even really noticed that I was gone. Absolutely. So quick and yep. easy. Yeah. What about, oh, there is a question that completely flew my mind. So you exclusively pumped for two years, you said. Do you find mm-hmm. that that's common? How long do you think parents know? Like I've known some to go up to 18 months. Yeah, I think that's a little long. Uh, in the exclusively pumping world, most parents just, it's a lot. Like I said, it's its a lot, especially, you know, pre-COVID time, even during COVID. When my, with my son being home at the beginning, it was really hard to find those times. And he was two and a half at the time. He was, he was a big boy. He could walk and talk and, you know, touch things, but it was just really hard to kind of find that time to sit down, get those pumps in and get them done. And so I heavily relied on like hands-free and wearable pumps. But I think a lot of parents will go to a year and because their, their employer may give them that time. So once, you know, their year is up and, and they don't have those uh, protections anymore under, you know, the labor laws in the U.S., they kind of switch to maybe they'll pump at home you know, when they get home with their baby. So, okay, I'm pumping in the evenings and then in the morning before I go. But a lot of parents kind of make it to that year mark. So that's good. And have you heard of like, uh, there's a lot of talk in the exclusive pumping groups about your magic number? Yeah, I have heard that. I have 
kind of, I'm not really sure about the science behind it. I've always, you know, I've, I've read what it is and how you get there. But one of the things about that, that who kind of came up with that to actually tell you about it is that getting to that magic number is going to take some time. So a parent who is just delivering their baby's four weeks old really wouldn't be trying to hit a magic number of six or seven or five or whatever it is. They want to ensure that they're establishing that milk supply. So I do not recommend that parents, to my parents, ever start cutting pumps out until about four to six months of steady, consistent, making each and every one of those pump sessions so that your body can respond to that. Because a lot of times what happens is parents will say, okay, well, I'll get to my magic number. My magic number is seven or my magic number is six. And then, you know, they hit a certain point, like, baby turns six months, right? And okay, they start introducing solids, but the baby is also still taking breast milk every day and their supply starts to decrease. And once you kind of get, you know, to those older ages, bringing that supply back really quickly, it takes a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So I always tell parents, stay consistent for the first few months. I know it's super hard. And I see those infographics too, where they're like, oh, at three to four months, you can pump this many times a day. You can start cutting out these pumps. And that's not the truth for every parent. Mm -hmm. And it may make it seem unsustainable for them. They may be like, oh my gosh, my milk is just going away. But it's just because, you know, we can't cut those pumps out too early, but we will get to a point. And I always say, you will get to a point where you'll be able to do it. I promise Just stick with it, you know, in the early days and you'll yeah. see the reward a little bit later. Yeah, that's, I agree 100%. And I have been coming across that a lot more from the families I work with. Like, oh, I read about this magic number, which for listeners, if you don't know, the magic number is the minimum amount of times that you need to pump to keep up with your baby's supply. Um, So the infographic that goes around often compares like how much you pump each session versus how many ounces your baby needs. And then it tells you like, what's the minimum amount you need to pump. So for some moms, it says, well, you only need to pump like six times a day. And for other moms, it's like, oh, you need to pump like 12 times a day, which can be wrong on either end. Right. But I always tell them, because, you know, most of the families I see, they're like two or three weeks out from the birth. I'm like, it's way too early. We don't even know what really your supply looks like. Like, we have an idea. But right, like, yeah, unfortunately, you still need to stick with that consistency. Yeah. And they get that, you know, of course, we know that breast milk production in, in the very beginning is hormone driven. So they get to see it and they say, okay, you know, I can, I can pump this much or I can maybe nurse baby and pump this much afterwards. And then they like, hey, you know, it's been 10 weeks and my supply has just plummeted. And so I was asking, oh, okay, well, what do you mean by plummeted? What were you making before? Or what are you making now? Well, I was making 10 ounces, you know, every pump session. And now I'm only making six and I'm pumping eight times a day. And I'm like, that's still <laughs> more than your baby needs. You still yeah. have somewhat of an over oversupply. But when you start to cut those pumps out really early, what you're telling your body is when, you know, switches over to being supply and demand is that you don't need that milk. You know, and, and some sometimes your body will say, okay, they'll cut just enough, but sometimes that can really kind of set you back to where you're not making enough for your baby's daily needs. So mm-hmm. in those early days we've got to be consistent. But like you said, it's just it's the context. You they have to have someone to kind of put it in the context for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And feeding amounts too. Like it's a lot of discussion about appropriate feeding amounts for your baby's age. Because as you know, with bottles, sometimes the baby just keeps chugging. And so I've come across families who are like giving their three-week-old baby three or not three, um, six ounces in a bottle because that's how much they pump. So they think that's how much the baby would get or need to get. Yeah. So it's a lot of education around that too. Yeah. I always, always try to teach appropriate bottle size. You know, I'll talk to them with it. I'll use the, the graphics about the baby's stomach. 
kind of reinforce that. But I also tell them buy this, you know, smallest amount of bottles uh, or not smallest amount of bottles, but smallest increments of bottles. You know, they have some that are just four ounces or five ounces, but you don't need one that's, you know, eight, nine ounces. And a lot of times they see that and they're like, okay, well, it goes up to eight or nine ounces. So I should put eight or nine ounces in there or I should be making that much. And so, you know, a lot of exclusively parents, exclusively pumping parents don't see lactation professionals, unfortunately, um, just because of, and, and that's our own fault. I, I feel like, you know, as an RBCLC, I will own that, that us as a profession, we don't really extend that olive branch that we are there for them. They just think, well, you know, if I'm not putting baby to breast, these people don't care about, what I'm doing. And some of us don't think pumping is breastfeeding. So that, right. you know, doesn't help, but a lot of them, you know, may not see lactation consultant or a lactation supporter. And I always try to encourage them, you know, if you have questions, you can ask, Hey, you know, I see that you are, you know, a CLC. I see you're an IBCLC. Do you offer, you know, advice about pumping and pumping parents? If I want to do that, just to reach out to the people in their community so that they're getting, you know, the education that they need and they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I hear that all the time. And when I work my hospital shift, like when I'm getting a report from the nurses and they'll say, oh, you know, so-and-so in this room is just exclusively pumping. So you don't even need to go see her. And I'm like, excuse me? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> she, absolutely. she needs support. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else that you think parents should know about exclusive pumping that we didn't get to yet? I just think I, um, and I think they know this, but I think that if you are considering exclusively pumping, absolutely reach out to a pump savvy lactation professional with everything being virtual. Now you can really, you know, I could talk to someone in California. I'm talking to you and you're in Massachusetts. Um, so all over the world and all over the nation, especially for us, you can reach out to someone who will help you and just feel empowering your decision. If that is your decision, then absolutely go with it and get the support that you deserve. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I want them to to think. I don't want them to feel painted into this corner where, you know, I have to do it this way or I'm not going to get this support or I have to do it this way because this is the only way that they're showing me or, you know, that I see. That's absolutely not true. So just feel empowered in your decision and you do deserve support. You know, it may be on you to kind of reach out and get that and we're working on it so that it's spread out. You know, <laughs> I, we wish that everyone would be super supportive. But even if they're not, there are places and, and spaces for you to exist and to get the support that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And again, like, don't be afraid to ask whoever you're reaching out to, like, do you have experience working with exclusively pumping parents or asking Absolutely. friends that you have that you know that are exclusively pumping who they work with with anyone? And I'm sure there's Facebook groups, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And tell us where people can find you and connect with you, find out more about you. Yes. Um, so you can find me on, I'm a millennial at heart. Well, I'm a millennial, but I'm such a millennial at heart. So you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and my, both on Instagram and Facebook, it's uh, Sunshine and Rainbows Lactation. That's Sunshine spelled S-O-N, like my son, Shine and Rainbows Lactation on Facebook and Instagram. And my website is saying www.sunshineandrainbowsvacation.com. And Michelle, are you offering virtual consults right now? Absolutely. I do. I offer (laughs) virtual, you know, prenatals. For my local families, I do in-home. So if you are in Southern Virginia, that's Hampton Roads. Everyone from Southern Virginia will know where Hampton Roads, if they live in Hampton (laughs) Roads. But I do do in-person with proper PPE depending on the issue that baby's having, if it's something that I need to see them, but I'm absolutely doing virtual consults. So you can definitely reach out to me. Mm -hmm. 
And definitely do. <laughs> yes, yes. If you're having an inclusive pumping question, I have a little bit of, of something for everyone. If you have a latching question, absolutely reach out to me. I support all parents across the spectrum and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll find something that, that works. I have something in my toolbox for everybody, I think. Yeah. A little bit of something. Yeah, and I think it's there's something to be said because I do pumping consoles as well, but if you're planning on exclusively pumping, there is something to be said for working with someone who's been there, done that, and truly yeah. knows down to your core what it's like. Right. So, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. I'm so glad that we're continuing to get this message out there that exclusive pumping is breastfeeding. Yes, it is <laughs> breastfeeding. And anyone who tells you it's not, if someone's telling you it's not, just tag me in on Facebook. I just... <laughs> We'll troll them. I will troll them. I will argue with them until I'm blue in the face. Absolutely. Pumping is breastfeeding. We're mm-hmm. doing this. We're all in this together. We don't need any inside the breastfeeding circle, you know, anything to divide us or pit us against each other. We have enough of that. So mm-hmm. definitely we're all one team and exclusively pumping is breastfeeding. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.